Well, what you've just seen is a mashup of a bunch of different versions of what famous story? A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, right? Written in 1843. I think this book has been made into more movies than any other book that has ever been written. I don't know about John Luke Picard, though, as Scrooge. As some, that just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. You may wonder what Dickens was trying to say. That he had been visited by, by the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future. And while I'm not going to go into spirits and all this sort of thing, I think that what Dickens was trying to say is that to truly understand what Christmas is all about, you have to understand Christmas from all three perspectives. You have to understand Christmas past. You have to understand Christmas present. And you have to understand Christmas future. And all three of these perspectives are seen in one passage of Scripture, the passage of Scripture that's already been read, but that I'm going to read in English. You can turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in, he was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. What does it mean to live in all three perspectives? Christmas past, present, and future. Well, let's look, number one, at Christmas past. This passage goes back to the beginning, not just to when Jesus was born almost 2,000 years ago. It goes back to the very, very beginning. It goes back even before there was a creation. You see, to understand Christmas, you have to understand who Jesus was. It says here that in the beginning, in what beginning? In the beginning of all things, before there was a created earth, in the beginning was the Word. And who is the Word? The Word is Jesus. And it says that Jesus was with God, and it says that Jesus was God. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? To be with and to be something at exactly the same time. What is this passage trying to say? This passage is saying three things about Jesus. Number one, it's saying that Jesus was eternally God. That Jesus has always been God and that he always will be God. Unlike the earth, unlike you and I, Jesus was not created. Jesus existed before creation. And a matter of fact, Genesis goes to tell us that, Je that Jesus was part of creation. That all things were created by Jesus. In John 8, 57, it says, You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen him? And you have seen Abraham? Jesus replies this way, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was. I am. Present tense. Meaning I always have been, I always will be. Jesus was eternally God. Number two, Jesus was equally God. He was not only dwelling in eternity past with God, but He is equal to God in terms 
of his omnipotence, that means his power, his authority. John 10, 28 says this, this is Jesus talking, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them from out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I and the Father are one. And again, it says the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Because what Jesus was claiming here is that he and God were one. They were equals. That Jesus was equal with the Almighty God. Because Jesus was the Almighty God. That Jesus is eternally God. He's equally God. And that he's essentially God. It says that all things through him were made. That the Bible attributes all the things that God does to the works of Jesus as well. Colossians 1.5, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the invisible, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That Jesus was God. Now why am I saying this? I'm saying this because to truly understand Christmas, you truly have to understand what it is that happened on Christmas Day. On Christmas, God came. The Almighty God of creation, the hand that flung stars into space, the God that, that fills the galaxy, the God of creation came and was born an absolute helpless baby in a manger almost 2,000 years ago. I don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity totally. I don't think anyone does. I know that it's true. I heard one person once say that deny the doctrine of the Trinity and you'll lose your salvation. Try to comprehend it and you'll lose your mind. <laughs> that, that I don't understand how God could be completely God and, and completely man at the same time and how Jesus is relate and the Holy Spirit is in there. That's hard for us as human beings to comprehend because we're finite, we're not infinite. If you doubt that, let me ask you a question. What lies beyond the universe? <laughs> Another universe, right? Well, what lies beyond that? You see, we as human beings cannot comprehend infinite. We can't comprehend that if you were to go in this direction at the speed of light forever, you would never reach the end. That is infinite. And the human mind can't comprehend that. But it's the truth that the God of creation came and became one of us. The majestic God was born as a baby. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why did God have to come? Why did God come and why was he born as one of us? Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, once told this story to try to illustrate this point. He said that there was once this great kingdom and this castle and this very, very wealthy king. And his son, the prince, was looking for someone to marry. And occasionally he would take this grand stagecoach pulled by many horses into the local village. And he would sit within the stagecoach and he would look out through the glass. And as he looked and he saw all the different people who lived in the village, there was this one girl. And every time he saw this girl, he was struck by how kind she was and how pleasant she was. And he, was ju he just 
gradually began to fall in love with this girl. And one day he decided, you know what? I'm going to ask this girl to be my wife. But there was a problem. You see, because if he was to step out of his great carriage, the king dressed in his royal robes and the crown on his head, if he was to, dre- to step out, he could just order that girl to marry him. He could just walk up to her and say, you, you're going to be my future wife. You don't have any say in the matter. He had that kind of power. And he didn't want that girl to just marry him so that she could be, you know, rich and so that she could be wealthy. She wanted him to love him for who he was as he loved her for who she was. And so he devised a plan. He laid aside his robe. He took off his crown. He left the stagecoach and dressed just in regular clothes. He moved into that village. He rented a small apartment. He worked in a shop. And for years, he lived there. And he got to know this girl. And he finally ended up marrying this girl when he was sure that she loved him for who he was. For who his inside was. Not for the fact that he was a prince. And you see, in a way, that's exactly what God did for each one of us. That God could have demanded our love, but He didn't. He came and He become one of us. He lived amongst us. He lowered Himself. He took off His majesty. He took off His royal nature. And He came and became one of us. Years ago, I had a chance to visit Bethlehem. And uh, you go to to Israel nowadays and you visit Bethlehem and it's a scary place because it's in the Palestinian sector. You have to go through this checkpoint that has bullet holes all through it. But, But I remember going to Bethlehem and there's this church that's supposedly built over the cave where they think that Jesus was born. And they don't know, they just think that. But there's this church that's been built over this cave. And in order to see the actual place that Jesus was born, you have to go down these steps, and the cave is very low, and so you have to actually stoop down in order to enter in, to see this place where they think that Jesus was born. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a pretty tall person. When I first went there, I had to stoop down very low in order to go into this place. I thought, how much more did the Almighty God of creation stoop for you, for you and for me? How far did God go in laying aside everything that He was, all of His power, all of His majesty, to become that helpless baby so that we could be saved? The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. That is the truth of the scripture. That someone once wrote, he clothed himself with our lowliness in order to invest us with his grandeur. Christmas passed, Jesus came, he was born a baby so that he could live and so that he could die for you and for me. That's Christmas past. But Christmas present. You see, today we have the luxury. Unlike those early shepherds and those wise men, We live on the other side of Christmas. We understand what God has done. We understand the significance of it. But even so, there are still many, many people in the world today that don't understand the truth. They don't understand why it is that Jesus came. This passage says in verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. 
And to truly understand what that word understood means, you have to look at the Greek. It's the word katalambano. Katalambano. Lambano means to take. It means that they've tried to take it, but they can't get their hands on it. It's like a greased watermelon. It keeps slipping from your hand. You try to grab it, and it just seems to slip away. And the world has seen... I mean, they've, they've watched the... The, the, the TV specials. They've heard the Christmas music in the malls. They've, they've listened and they've seen all this stuff. Some have been to church before. They've heard the truth. They've understood the truth. And yet they haven't got it. They just have missed it. They don't understand why it is that Jesus came. They think that Christmas is just about family. It's just about tradition. There was a wealthy European family that had a baby and they were so overjoyed that they had this finally had this baby and so they decided to christen this baby and they invited all of their friends and this family was very rich and so all the guests came in and they were all dressed in furs and in, in, in robes and they came walking into this fine house and the first guest asked you know where do I put my coat and they said, oh, just throw it in. Uh, there's a bedroom just off here. Just throw it in on the bed. And so they walked in and threw their coat on the bed. And the next and the next and the next. And finally it came down to the main event. They said, okay, bring out the baby. Let's christen this baby. And so the, 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 the governess went running around. And she said, I can't find the baby. I can't find the baby anywhere. I've looked here and I've looked here. And everyone's like, has anyone seen this baby? No, I, We've, here everybody's drinking champagne and they're celebrating and, and they can't find this baby. They finally found the baby. It was laying under all the coats on the bed. <laughs> People had just come in and thrown their coats on it and the baby was okay. But the point of the story is this. They missed it. They missed it. They were there for the main event. They were there for the baby. But in the midst of the celebration, they forgot about the baby entirely. And sometimes we're like that with Christmas. I think it's funny how the world is trying to take Christ out of Christmas. <laughs> it, Christ is the reason for Christmas. It's the heart of Christmas. If you remove Christ, you remove the reason for celebration. Two thousand years later, people are still waiting to hear. Just like those early shepherds got that birth announcement, there are still millions of people, billions of people around the world that haven't understood the Christmas message. Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. The reality is that one day Jesus is coming again. Not as a helpless baby this time, but as a conquering king. In A Christmas Carol, if you've seen the movie or if you've read the book, in the book, Scrooge has to come face to face with his own mortality. When the ghost of Christmas future comes, he takes Scrooge to that lonely cemetery. And there is that gravestone. And on the, on the gravestone is the name Ebenezer Scrooge. And it's a good reminder for all of us that one day all of us like Scrooge are going to die. All of us are mortal. One day we're all going to be buried. We're all going to be dead. And on that day, we're going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. What have we done? What have we done with the life that God gave us? 
Revelations 19.11 says, I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, as on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine white linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Someday, when Jesus returns, this will be the scene. Not a quiet manger scene in Bethlehem. But Jesus coming as a conquering king, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And will we be ready on that day to meet him? I heard about a family, I don't remember if I told this story before, but I heard about a family who was setting up a nativity set one Christmas. And they, you know, they had set up the barn, and they'd set up the baby Jesus, and there was Mary and Joseph, and there was the shepherds, and there was the wise men, and they were just getting out the cow, you know, and the sheep, and putting them all, and, and, and this family had a little boy, and the little boy said, can I help, can I help, I really want to help. And so finally the dad said, okay, you can put the animals in the state. And so he ran to his bedroom and he got his favorite toy. It was this great big Tyrannosaurus Rex. And he brought this great big Tyrannosaurus Rex and stuck it beside the manger. And so here you have the baby Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds and this huge red Tyrannosaurus Rex looking down menacingly on the stable. And, and you know, the, the, the mom and dad, scratched their head and said, well, it, it, it doesn't really go. But they didn't have the heart to tell their son he couldn't help. And so they said, okay, we'll just leave it. Well, later that day, the pastor came for a visit. And he comes walking in the house. And sure enough, the first thing he sees is this manger scene. And he comes walking in and he looks at this manger scene and says, huh, Revelations 12. Oh, that's very clever. And then he... And after he left, the family was like, what does Revelations 12 say? I have no idea what he meant by that. And so they got out their Bibles. And this is what Revelations 12 says. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain because she was about to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, of course, Revelations is read in, is, in kind of a figurative way. But the truth of the matter is this, that the day that Jesus was born, there were already enemies that were present. The devil was already there trying to stop the work of God, trying to stop Jesus from doing the work of redemption that he actually did. And the reality is, is that having a dinosaur standing over the manger is actually pretty accurate. In the world today, there is an enemy. And the devil is doing all he can to get in the way to stop Christmas, the ultimate Grinch, to stop the work of God on the earth. 
Years ago, a guy by the name of uh, John Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but in one part of the book, Pilgrim is walking along and there's a wall. And there's a fire that's burning along the side of the wall. And it's a strange sight because there is a guy and he's constantly throwing water onto the flame to put out the flame. And yet the fire seems to burn even brighter every time he puts water on it. And Pilgrim turns to his guide and says, What's happening here? The man is throwing water on the fire. How come it isn't extinguished? And he says, Oh, let's look on the other side of the wall. And they go to the other side of the wall... And while on the one side there's a guy throwing water, on the other side there's a guy with an even bigger bucket throwing oil. Or we would say today gasoline. You see, that's the picture we have of the world today. That it seems like all around us, people are trying to extinguish the work of Jesus. They're trying to to put out what God is wanting to do on the earth. But the Holy Spirit is there, fueling the fire, making it burn even brighter. And the reality is, is that someday every knee shall bow. And someday every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a story that in Yellowstone National Park in the States, they have this one cave, and it's a huge cave. But the opening of the cave is just very, very small. And one day there was a guy who was hiking by himself, And he fell into that cavern. And he was in that cavern for many days and many nights. And he kept yelling for help. Yelling, yelling, yelling for help. And eventually, the fifth day, someone was walking by, and they heard something, and they put their ear down to that little opening, and they heard this man yelling for help. And they put down a rope, and they rescued this guy. And they asked the guy later, how come you didn't just give up? How come you didn't just give up hope of ever being rescued? And the guy said, all I did when I was down in that dark cave, there was that one small hole. And out of that small hole, there was a beam of light that was coming down. And all I did was stand under that beam of light. And I looked up into that beam of light so I didn't see the darkness that was all around me. What I saw was the sun. And that's what kept me going. And that's what gave me hope that one day I would be rescued. You can be in a dark room, and yet if there's one ray of sun, as these people over here know, (laughs) it's very bright, isn't it? And there is that ray of light that is still beaming down into this world. And for those of us who are looking up to God, they see that light. And let's concentrate on that light. This Christmas season, my prayer is as you go about your day today, that you would be blessed by your time with family, that you would open presents, that you would have a wonderful time, that you would eat some great food, enjoy your family gatherings, but let's remember that ray of light. Let's remember that this is about Jesus. And let's remember that He's coming soon. So let's make sure we, like the angels, tell other people about Him to speed His coming. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You, Father, that we can gather together and celebrate. Father, we have different services but lord this morning we're all together as one as family to celebrate your goodness to celebrate your love to celebrate the fact that jesus is lord father we pray that as we go about the rest of this day that father you would give us in a wonderful time that father you have been so generous and you have blessed us so abundantly 
And we thank you, Father God, for all of that, that we have health, that we have family, that there are so many things that we can be thankful for this Christmas. But we're most thankful, Father, for the fact that you came. You came and you were born as a baby so that you could live your life and that you could die and purchase our salvation on the cross. We thank you, Father, for this. We pray, Father, that that light of Christmas would shine down and that many more who still haven't got it, people who still haven't grasped the truth, might hear and understand this Christmas season. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.